Welcome to the fourth episode of the New York City Parks Oral History Project podcast. Our subject is the history of the COVID-19 pandemic and the responses and activities of New York City Parks. Our hosts are Diana Baker and Kevin Fitzpatrick. Today we explore the era when schools closed and recreation centers were open to help children. This is episode four, Learning Bridges and Recreation. We are back in Williamsburg, Brooklyn at McCarran Park Play Center in the Media Education Lab. Our team is using the Media Lab to share our history with listeners, presenting some of the more than 100 interviews conducted last year. Hi, Diane. It's great to be back. In our last episode, we shared some of the interviews about public service and what it means to be a public servant. Today, we're going to be in a similar vein. As we explore the era in 2020-2021, when recreation centers were converted to school classrooms. I think you have some experience with this, Diana. I do. I did um, Learning Bridges for several months um, in Manhattan. We had, uh, I think our maximum was, you know, 20 some odd kids in a day. It was, you know, basically the children would come to us uh, if their parents couldn't work. Like several of our children, their parents were doctors, you know, so they couldn't quit their jobs and stay home in the middle of a health crisis. And then other parents had, you know, whatever other reasons for um, their children having to come to Learning Bridges. So what I learned is of the more than 30 recreation centers that were closed, some were used for food distribution, some for mask distribution, and some for these kind of drop-in Learning Bridges sites that the parks did with um, the Board of Education. And it was a big success. Um, and it allowed parents to return to work with a, a safe place for their children to basically go to school in a recreation center. What was your ex- experience? I mean, you you left your house, went to the rec center. What, what were the ages of your kids? We had some that were really little. We had some that were uh, five. I think we even had some that, like, turned five. So they were maybe even four. And then um, we topped out at, like, 12 or 13 years old. What was a typical day like in, in the rec center? The kids, basically what was happening was, you know, they would come in with their iPads and their laptops, whatever, And it was just, you know, their schooling at that point was basically just like a long Zoom call, right? And so they would be on this Zoom call with their teachers. Their teachers would try to basically imitate the same thing that they were doing in the classroom, but just on a Zoom call. So now the child is watching it. And then in some instances, I would interact with the teacher too. Like if the teacher was not eliciting the response from the child that she wanted, then I would speak up and say, you know, how can I help? This kid needs to interact more or whatever is the case. But this is also the fall of 2020. So we were just getting out of the first wave. Everything is still closed. There's no movie theaters. There's no bars and restaurants open. There's, you know, everybody's in masks and we're practicing social distancing. What was it like being around a room full of kids with masks on trying to engage with them? The children acclimated to the mask thing really well and really quickly, almost in a frightening way. Like I had, um, you know, five-year-olds that I don't know if they are comfortable without a mask on right now as we speak, right? Because these are formative years for them 
and they were taught that they had to wear the mask and it was not, you know, optional. They had to wear the mask. And I remember one little girl, she she had been eating and she didn't have her mask on. And so she asked me to take her to the bathroom. I did that. And halfway she realized she didn't have her mask on. And it was like she was embarrassed because her face was out, you know. So I had to explain to her. I don't think anyone ever really explained to the children why the mask is preventing you from getting sick. I think, you know, they saw it more like a like a modesty thing. Yeah, our son is the same way. He's 12, so for three years, I mean, when he, before he goes to school, he, he puts his mask on and he keeps it on. Um, and this is something to talk about with, with some of the parkies we're going to hear from today. Um, we're going to return to some of our recorded interviews, um, both in Brooklyn, actually, at the same place. Um, our first was conducted in, in Bay Ridge at the Fort Hamilton Senior Recreation Center. And when the pandemic began, all rec centers were closed and the communities had to adapt. The recreation center was opened as a learning bridges site for children only. And Caitlin Wilkin is a Brooklyn native, a second generation parky, uh, following her dad's footsteps. And she's a recreation specialist who has been with parks for 11 years. How many kids did you have? I think I had five or six uh, kids just in kindergarten. It felt like a room full of 20. <laughs> um, kindergarten, they, they have their personalities and they're still learning. And on top of it, like you're trying to tell a kid to do uh, phonics and easy math stuff on an iPad. And yes, they might have experience using an iPad, but not for school. And even to think this could be the first time they're actually doing school and to do it on a computer or an iPad, like that's insane. I, when I was their age, I was in a classroom learning firsthand and with the teacher in front of me, not through a computer screen. Did you have a lot of experience part of that with kindergartners? Not with kindergarten. When I did school, uh, college, and I did student teaching, I had second grade. So six, seven, eight-year-olds was a little bit different than five-year-olds um, coming into school for the first time. So that was, it, it got to be overwhelming at times because I'm trying my best to make sure they're on task. But at the same time, I want to make sure that like, well, you're five, like, I shouldn't have to keep you so focused on a computer screen all day. That's a lot for a five-year-old to take in. Um, but I did my best, and I think they did very, very well with me and Sean. Um, hopefully, even when they went back to school that December, January of 2021, it was much of a better experience for them. Trying to teach a five-year-old how to do a spelling and a phonics test and trying to spell simple words like cat and dog sometimes is very difficult because their attention span isn't there trying to focus on the computer screen while the teacher is talking and sounding it out and here I am making my own little worksheets for them and trying to make sure that they did everything that they were supposed to do and on time and get it submitted on time um, let's say Google Classroom was not easy <laughs> to, to work 
what that was a learning process for myself especially um, what was the morale like among the rec center staff at that time do you remember that was it high low high definitely high because we were all trying our best to give these kids what they needed we we didn't just we weren't just a site anymore just so they can do their learning we all band together to make sure these kids actually learn something while on our premises did everything they were supposed to do but then also still be able to provide out like extracurricular activities as well it we knew that trying to stare at a computer screen was never going to work it all day it was never going to work we needed to make sure that they had what school also offered outside of the classroom gave them art activities gave them physical activity brought them outside for some fresh air being cooped up inside is not fun and how many people did it for two years you know now you're telling five six-year-olds the older kids Okay, the older kids wanted to stay on the computer screen, they're older. But, you know, it, it wasn't easy to try and keep a kid in their seat all day long attached to a computer screen. Diana, what was it like working with kids on computers? It was funny because, you know, kids generally always, you know, the screen time thing is an issue with kids, right? So it's always you're trying to minimize the screen time thing. And now it's like all screen all the time, right? So uh, they, you know, some children thrived in that situation. And then other children, you know, didn't. Some kids need that uh, interaction, you know, they need to be with other people um, in order to learn or just in order to communicate. Um, and so some kids were really good at it. And then other kids, you know, you had to help them along. Also at the same center was Teresa Mangan, who was a seven-year Parky. When the pandemic began, she recorded videos for parks to share on social media of exercises to do at home, which was perfect for those stuck indoors. In the fall of 2020, she was assigned to Fort Hamilton and was put into the role of Learning Bridges instructor with a room full of kids every day. She also was exercising with them outdoors. What was the sample of one of these programs? Do you remember like what the curriculum was, or the, what the plan was? Oh, it was mostly, most of it was sports. Okay. Yeah, so um, one of my coworkers and I, we, we went to the park and we, uh, the, we, we, we did sports. And, and, but the, the thing with this program, we weren't really supposed to have them interacting, which is weird. So how do you design sports and clinics programs where they're not interacting with each other as much or touching each other, right? Um, so we had to make sure we had extra basketballs, extra soccer balls, so everyone had their own equipment and we would disinfect them before the, the um, class and after the class. Uh, and how do you get in all these different skills without them uh, getting too close, right? So, so it was a lot of, you know, um, kind of just adapting our programming in general and, and what we could do, as well as like really during that program, all of our participants had to be in masks. So we, we I felt like we had to constantly check in with the kids um, 
because we had to say like, are you okay? Like, are you breathe? Like, cause you can't tell when their, when their eyes are just, the, they're the only things you can see is the eyes. And if they're thirsty, they're not breathing well, it's very hard to perceive what's going on with them. And another thing is the difference I noticed in kids is that they weren't speaking up. Once the mask was on their face, they weren't talking as much. In my past experience with kids, they're loud, they're funny, they're speaking up, they're, they're asking questions. A lot of these kids were very discipline-oriented, wanted to do the right thing, didn't want to uh, get hurt anyone, get anyone sick. So they were very much more following order than um, exploring, questioning, um, and like expressing. So that was like, it was definitely different to see. What are the ages of these kids? We dealt with kids as young as five, four. I would take a kid as long as they could listen and, and participate. And then we, we went all the way up to 17. What are some of the most striking memories you have of that, that period of time? When we were just, we would just be in the park and like a little kid came up and they like just tried to like hug, hug you. And it was kind of like, I know you're not supposed to be doing this, but how do I tell you it's not okay? Or for for because everyone was again scared of. I wasn't personally scared, but I I, I more so um, was conscious of their emotions and what they were feeling. So um, yeah, that was a weird moment when they would try to come up and like or just you know high five and stuff like that. How long did Learning Bridges last? Learning Bridges started in September and we were told it might be like a two-month program and then the kids would be back in school but it lasted the full year. So we had we had all grades K through 8 until January of 2021 and then in January 2021, the kindergarten, first grade, and third grade went back to school, and we had all we had second grade, fourth grade, and all the way to eighth grade, still at the center. And then second grade and fourth grade went back to school uh, around April, and um, we had the fifth through eighth grade at the center. Um, but the whole time we were at max capacity. So when we lost some children to going back into school full time, we, we were able to pull some more kids off the roster and get um, more kids into the program. So I understand learning bridges like during school hours, you were monitoring doing school stuff. Then at two o'clock you did recreation? We were originally told that we would just be watching the children on their screens and making sure that they were engaged with their teachers on the screens. And then at 2 o'clock, we would, or 2.30ish, whenever the school day end, we would, we would form recreational programs for them. Um, this was not really what we, we noticed the first week was, was happening. Uh, mainly because every teacher had a different, or a set of teachers, had a different way of, of, of providing their remote learning with their class materials for the day and course materials. We also didn't have Wi-Fi until March. So then 
you could do recreation, which is what you're trained for in the afternoons. So we actually did recreation throughout the day. Okay. We did that, we, I called them movement snacks um, because it kept the kids involved in their classrooms and engaged in their learning process as well. The kids, especially in kindergarten, they could not sit and focus on a screen that long. They, they're, they're not even used to focusing on Frozen or any of those, those common movies for that long, let alone a confusing classroom setting. Um, so yeah, so we, we actually ended up setting up classrooms to make it efficient. So we had a kindergarten classroom, which we separated from everyone else because we felt that kindergartners needed a little bit more structure because they hadn't even experienced any structure yet. So we set up a kindergarten classroom. Um, I was mostly with the first graders because we had about eight first graders. Some days there were six, some days there was, you know, seven or eight. Uh, we had a, a second grade class area and then um, the fourth through eighth were in their own room because they were able to handle a lot of their assignments on their own and help each other out. Could you tell me about some of your coworkers that were also doing the same role as you? What what would what were they doing pre-pandemic that you're now asking them to basically <laughs> be elementary school teachers? Um, almost all of my coworkers were programming recreational activities. So they were teaching fitness classes or art classes or um, but some of them were only teaching them to seniors, right? So, um, yeah, most of them, most of them were teaching classes. There were a few that that were doing, um, like we had a, a center manager here who unfortunately passed away, but he was the center manager here and unfamiliar with, um, like, the structure of a school day and and kids programs as much because he'd been at a senior center for a very long time. So, but when he, his name is Pete, he's an amazing guy. Um, we all missed him so much. He, uh, he actually said, you know, we're doing amazing things here. And he was like, one day they're gonna, they're gonna talk about it. One day they're gonna talk about what we're doing here. And it's just, it's so cool to see. And he's right, he's, um, he, was, he was like, I'm wit I feel like I'm witnessing something. I really enjoyed meeting Teresa and Caitlin at the center and finding out a lot about Learning Bridges. Have, have you reflected on what that was like three years ago? Yeah, keeping the kids apart was a big deal. It was a huge issue. And, um, you know, like Teresa said, high-fiving, you know, high-fiving was out. Like, hugs were out. Like, you know, kids were not allowed to congregate on any level, which is hard when they're like six. On the one hand, you want to keep them apart and keep them safe and keep them healthy. But on the other hand, you don't want to scare the pants off them and tell them like, you're going to get sick and die if you <laughs> shake hands with this other kid. It was a, a fine line to walk. Thank you so much, Diana. This is a wonderful show. I'm really looking forward to the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the New York City Parks Oral History Project podcast. It is produced by New York City Parks Media Education. Our hosts are Diana Baker and Kevin Fitzpatrick. Our producer is Igosa Agbo, and our sound engineer is Eddie Hall. 
Original theme music, A Stroll in the Park, is composed and performed by Brett Meany. And the show's sound and audio is composed by Shaquem Hilbosse. I am announcer, Zach Lella. On our next episode, we will be talking about New Yorkers' relationships with parks and open spaces. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please share this podcast with others who may be interested in our show. See you in the parks.